All right, how's everybody doing this morning? Doing okay? All right, my name's Cody. I'm the high school youth pastor, if you don't know me. Um, I'm going to start for a moment, kids. Yep, keep on trucking. Do your thing. Um, I'm going to start just with a, a moment. Uh, I need some response from the audience. I won't do the whole message that way, I promise. Um, I don't think we're there yet, right? Clearly. Okay. All right. So, but I need this, this first part. So when I say the word or the name Moses, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Shout it out. Burning bush. Red sea. Snake. Ten commandments. Ooh, stutter. Basket. Ooh, okay, cool. You guys got more than first service. First, murder. Yeah, someone else said, I heard murder multiple times. Okay, yes. There's a lot to cover when it comes to Moses. So when I was assigned this week, I looked at it and I was like, I had to laugh because I was like, yeah, these characters that we've been studying, they all kind of have a lot, but Moses kind of has the most, right? Like I kind of have the hardest job of like trying to figure out what are we supposed to talk about in a, in a 30-ish minute window? How am I supposed to cover either everything or what am I supposed to cover in Moses's life? Because there is a lot. The first place my brain went was back to seventh grade me. Uh, we had Sunday school at the church I grew up in and our Sunday school was like Sunday school, like it was school. I feel like we had to write papers. Maybe that's exaggerating, but it was, it was like school. And so we were assigned, we had to do presentations on the plagues, okay? Nobody said plagues unless you did and I didn't hear you. But we were assigned, um, we had to pick one of the plagues and me and my buddy, we were like boils. We want to do boils like right away. Seventh, I don't know, seventh grade boys, we just wanted to do boils. And so then we researched, they're actually really disgusting and we presented on that. But we got these like little red pom-pom ball things, those like craft supplies kind of. And we like stuck them all over our face and our body. And then we like played a game where you had to throw them. And it was pretty awesome. But but I was like, I don't know that that is really like what we're going after in this series, nor do I remember the content. I just remember that we stuck things on our face. So I moved along from that idea. Second thing, truly, the second thing I thought of, um, and I don't know if anyone will relate to this. There was like two people in the first service, but was this song that came back to my head. I guess we did it in children's church or something or chanted it out in public. I don't know. That's like, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Oh, man, let my people go. <laughs> okay, let's go, Taryn J. Quay. All right, so there's a couple. I heard some people say it, and like, we got real excited about the huh. That was like the, the best part of the song. I don't even know like what, where I learned that, or it's like copying a second, whatever. But that was the, and then I was like, there's no meat there, right? I'm still gonna do it because like, trying to get some people on my side in this message. Um, but we're not gonna like camp there for a long time because there's not enough in that song to do. So then I knew exactly what to do. Uh, as any good millennial might when thinking about Moses, I was like, you know what? I need to sit down and watch the 1998 cinematic masterpiece, The Prince of Egypt. I have to just, I have to take in the story. If you haven't ever seen The Prince of Egypt, no matter what age you are, you really should watch it. It is a beautiful adaptation of the story of Moses. It um, takes some liberties because all movies do, but it has a beautiful soundtrack. The visuals are awesome, and it really does walk through the life of Moses in a lot of ways. And so I encourage you to watch it. But as I was watching it, I was like, hmm, why did my brain go here before I just thought like, let me just read the story of Moses in scripture. So I was like, maybe I should do that instead. So I started reading, uh, particularly in Exodus. Moses' story goes kind of for a long time. He's in uh, a good chunk of that beginning part of the Bible. Um, but 
the section that I really focused in on was Exodus 3 and 4 because I was drawn to a particular part in Moses' story that I feel like was a really human moment of his. This series, Sinners and Saints, the theme we've kind of been camping on is all of us are both, right? We have both parts of that inside of us. And, and it's only through God's goodness that we can go and walk out his calling. The same thing is true for all of these characters, these heroes of our faith that we've been talking about. And you can see the artwork back there. All the characters we've been talking about, they were also sinners and saints. So even though Moses has all, has all these greatest hits, right, that we know about, he wasn't a perfect person. And so where we're going to camp today is a pretty human moment of Moses's. But in case we don't have the whole story, or in case we just need a refresher, and if you didn't just watch The Prince of Egypt the other night like I did, let's just walk through Moses' story quickly. Let's see what his greatest hits were, and then we'll camp out on this, this one particular moment, okay? So Moses' crazy story starts out right from birth. He's supposed to be killed because all the Israelite baby boys are, are targeted to be killed. His mom doesn't want that to happen, so he takes him down to the river, Someone said basket, right? Puts him in a basket, sends him off. That's really her only hope that he might survive. That's not a great chance of survival either, but she knew he was going to be killed back here. Pharaoh's daughter is down by the river and hears this baby and, and takes him in and raises him as, as her son. This cool moment happens where uh, Moses' actual mother is brought in to nurse Moses, but they didn't really know it was his actual mother at the time. They thought it was just an Israelite woman. Pretty, pretty cool that that happens, okay? So then he grows up in Pharaoh's household. We don't get any information in that like adolescent time of his life, but we know that he was living in, in Pharaoh's household with that family. And then he grows up a little bit. Now Moses recognizes as he's growing that he kind of has this dual citizenship thing going on where he's an Israelite but he's with these Egyptian royalty and so that's kind of confusing and there's a moment, we're getting to people who said murder, okay, there's a moment where he gets really frustrated at, at an Egyptian person and kills him, buries him in the sand, which like Okay, I guess really all he had was sand, but like someone's going to find that. Okay, So he burns him in the sand, and, and then he goes about his way, tries to hide the fact that he did that, and he hears whispers of people saying like, this is the guy who, who killed that man. So he flees, leaves Egypt, and goes to Midian. And so let's pause for a second, okay, just for a moment. If that was all of Moses' story— that would still make like a really cool podcast, right? Like there's still, there's so much material just in the first however many years. That is a wild story of all of these things that have happened, okay? That's like scratching the surface. That's just the beginning, okay? So he's here in Midian. He had just fled Egypt. He gets married. He is uh, watching over some sheep. And then this bush starts burning and talking to him and God communicates. That's where we're going to camp out, okay? We'll get back there. God tells him to go back to Egypt and set everybody free. So he goes back to Egypt and he does what? Sets everybody free. Yeah, he does a lot of things, okay? That's why you're like, what do you want me to say? Okay, he does a lot of things. That's where he goes, let, let my people go, uh, okay, right? So that's, he's, he's begging Pharaoh to let the people go. The plagues happen and eventually Pharaoh is like, okay, your people can go. So they start going. 
and they get to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh changes his mind, and Pharaoh's like, you know what? I'm actually going to go pursue them. Like, I'm going to go attack them, All right? So he, shwabam, Red Sea happens. They go through the Red Sea. Pharaoh and his people come through. The sea crashes in, all right? How is this all the same person <laughs> that this is happening to? This story happened to a real man. All of these things I've said so far, and we're still not done, Okay. So now Moses is leading his people through the desert and the wilderness and trying to go to the promised land that God has talked to them about. There's some like minor miracles in there, right? Like water flowing from a rock and like manna from heaven. But we barely even get to touch on that because there's so many other things happening in Moses' life, right? So eventually they finally reach the promised land. And I wonder how many of us know this, okay? But did you know that Moses, he gets to see the promised land but doesn't get to enter it himself because of some past disobedience in his life. It's kind of strange, right? This, this weird irony at the end of, of all of this faithfulness, but he gets to see this promised land that he's led people to, but he doesn't get to go in himself. And then at the ripe old age of 120, Moses dies. Okay? That all happened to one dude. That's crazy. And I think sometimes when we have these, these Bible characters, especially in the Old Testament, they become these entities and they don't feel like a real person. If you've grown up in the church for a long time, right, you've, you've done the felt boards of Moses, you've done the Boyles Project, right? Like they become these things that exist and it's like, oh, Noah happened and Moses and these people. But it's like that was a real person that God was choosing to use who just happened to live an extraordinarily crazy life. I give all of that background so that we're all on the same page today, but also so that you know like there's a reason why Moses is famous, there's a reason why Prince of Egypt was made. There's a reason why the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston was made, right? And even people who don't follow Christ are intrigued by the story because the story itself is wild. And more importantly, Moses is leading people throughout that whole story. He becomes the leader of the Israelites and the way that they escaped slavery in Egypt. If you think about uh, just our country, our nation, right? And the things that we've walked through as a nation, any part of our history, right? So any wars or even the pandemic that just recently happened, that's gonna be a huge part of our history. We're gonna remember the people who were in power during those things more than the people who were in power like during some boring years where not a lot happened, okay? That's just how it's gonna work because our nation's history, these really important things were happening and we know who was leading us during it. The same logic can be applied here to the nation of Israel. This is a really important part of Israel's history when they escaped slavery, when they journeyed through the desert, when they found the promised land, and Moses was at the helm during that whole time. So he's not just like famous because he lived a crazy life, but he was the one responsible for leading this really important nation of Israel through a lot of things, okay? So we can all kind of agree like important dude, right? Which is why it was hard for me to figure out where do we camp, what do we talk about? But when I was reading through Exodus and I got to the, the portion of the burning bush, which is one of his greatest hits, right? When I got there, I was like, this is a place I really want to dig into because there's so much here to talk about. And, and I don't know about you, but when I think of the burning bush, the first thing I think of is just the visual, right, of an actual bush on fire. Uh, some of the artwork back there uh, goes after this exact thing that I'm going to be talking about, which is really cool. So it's an interesting visual. So my mind goes there, and it doesn't always go to, like, the actual meat 
of what took place at the burning bush. I'm just like, a bush was on fire, he talked to God, and then he went and like freed the Israelites. But there's so much that happens. And so we're gonna dive into the conversation that takes place between Moses and God there. And I see Laura Miller smiling because her artwork is like literally exactly what I'm gonna talk about this morning. So thank you for doing that. Um, so we're gonna go to Exodus three and four, and it's a big chunk of scripture. I want you to follow along either uh, on the screen up here, if that's easiest for you, if you like to close your eyes and kind of picture what's taking place. What I want you to do while we're reading this chunk of scripture, though, is focus on the dialogue between Moses and God. There's not a lot of places in scripture where we get to see an actual dialogue between Father God and somebody. So this is kind of really interesting. Jesus and people, yes, but Father God and, and, uh, and a human having this dialogue is really interesting. So pay attention to what is said back and forth. Moses and the burning bush. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So pause for one second. He's just a, a dude watching sheep. Like that's where his life is at right now because he had to flee. So he's not really in his greatest hit era when this happens. He's just watching sheep. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, wild, right? Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Pause for another moment. I can picture Moses standing here, hearing these things, being like, yeah, I want them to be free. That's such a good idea, God. <laughs> Thanks for hearing their cries. They've been in slavery for a long time. And then at the end of all that, he says, so now you go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. And I think that's where the nervousness starts to set in for Moses. And that's where we start to see this really human moment. Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what's his name? Then what should I tell them? So God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Moses answered, what if they don't believe me? 
or listen to me and they say, the Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. Someone said snake over here. And it became a snake. Where am I? And he ran from it. Ah! Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to you. So God gives Moses an actual miracle, a traveling miracle, okay, to take with him. Then there's two other miracles that happen, but we're going to jump because Moses has another concern. Moses says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Lord says to him, who gave human beings their mouths? The closest thing we could ever have to a name for God. And if you are someone who really likes etymology or figuring out what names mean or studying words, you really need to take a look at this passage and specifically about Yahweh, how that uh, is translated, how, we, how that even came to be. It's very complex, and I can't get into all of it here because that's a different message, but it's beautiful. And it essentially comes down to, I am period. <laughs> and so that's what you can tell them. And so what's cool about the Hebrew, though, is that God gives Moses a name that he actually could bring to them. And he's never done that with anyone before. We don't see Yahweh anywhere before this passage, okay? And he says, here's my name, or the best thing I can give you is Yahweh. And so he answers Moses' question, and he actually gives him more than he was even asking for, in that question. That's the theme we're going to come back to. Okay, the second hesitation. If the first one is, hey, I don't have all the information, I need more. The second hesitation comes in uh, chapter 4, verse 1, when Moses uh, says, what if they do not believe me or listen to me, and they say, the Lord did not appear to you. Now, this hesitation is one that all of us have faced in our lives. This is the what will people think hesitation, right? And if you're human, you got blood beaten right now in your chest, like, then, then you felt this. Because we're always worried about what people are going to think of us or how they're going to respond to us, especially if we're doing something out of the ordinary, right? So Moses gets this crazy calling. He's supposed to go back and free the Israelites when he's a murderer, basically, in that country. That's a, a wild ask of God. So he's nervous, like, what are people going to say? And here directly he says, what if they just don't believe me? Or what if they listen to my whole story and they're just like, the Lord didn't appear to you. You're crazy. So he has this genuine doubt and hesitation that people are going to believe him. Uh, God's response here is, is pretty good. All right. He says, what's that in your hand? A staff. All right. Throw it on the ground. Turns it into a snake. Turns it back into a staff. He gives Moses a miracle that only God could do. And at the time, there were lots of like magician type people attempting to perform stuff, right? But nobody could do that kind of stuff, right? So he gives him a miracle and, and he gives him two others beyond the, the snake and the staff, right? So he gives him multiple miracles to go back to Egypt with so that people knew he had actually encountered the real, true God. So again, Moses' hesitation is, what if they don't believe me? And, and God answers that question and then gives him even more than he needs. He goes above and beyond kind of his, in his answer. He's like, here you go. Here's, here's three miracles for you. 
The third hesitation is the one that I think is probably most deeply rooted in Moses's heart, and I'm going to guess that for us, it's probably the place where we have the greatest doubt or hesitation as well. This is in chapter 4 of Exodus, verse 10. Moses says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And here's where it gets really personal for Moses, because this hesitation is the I'm not good enough hesitation. We've all felt that, and we've all probably been right in, in saying we're not good enough for something. Or there's a better person for the job, because Moses really, really tries to hand it off, eventually succeeds, but he really tries to hand it off because like, there's got to be someone better for this job than me. So this is like genuine heart vulnerability from Moses. God, I don't think I'm your guy. I don't think I'm good enough to do it. Can you please send somebody else? And God has two good responses here. The first one is, I made you, I made your mouth, I made words, I made all of this. So like, if I'm asking you to do this, you're going to be okay. I am the one who made this happen. But Moses doubles down. He's like, no, please, please send somebody else. And with a little bit of anger, God is like, okay, fine. All right, I'll send Aaron. Aaron's coming anyway. You can use Aaron as your mouthpiece, which like, if you are a parent in the room, you've probably felt that. Like, fine, okay, right, I'll just give you the thing, right? So eventually God kind of gives in to this plea of Moses, says, all right, I am going to use somebody else in your stead, but you are still going to be the one that needs to speak to him so that he can be your mouthpiece. And then at the very end where I stopped this passage, I stopped it here on purpose, in verse 17 it says, but take this staff in your hand so you can perform signs with it. He doesn't let Moses kind of just like completely get off. He's like, I'm not just going to use somebody else instead of you. I'm still going to use you and your shortcomings, but I need you to be the one to go in. You are going to be the one that frees my people. So take the staff and go get ready. And as I think through these, these hesitations, first one being like, I don't know that I have all the information, God, of what you're asking of me. Second one being, what are people going to think? How are they going to respond to me? And then this third one, I'm not good enough. There's somebody better than me for the job. I can see myself in kind of all of those to a degree. But when it comes to our callings from the Lord, we have to move past those hesitations and go after the answers that he provided. And these answers basically sum up to say, you're right, you aren't good enough to do any of this. But I am. I am. Eh? Eh? Yahweh? but I am. Like, I am, I am good. I am good enough for anything. I am powerful enough. I am strong enough. So I am using you, and I'm choosing you, but don't think that you're doing it on your own power, because you're not. Go with me, and you will be able to do the thing I am asking of you. So for a moment here, I want you to really think about that in your life. Like, what has God asked of you? Where has he called you? And some of you might think it's a little unfair because Moses's call came out of a burning bush that was like audible, right? It's like, I have not had that experience in my life. No, no bushes out there are burning for me, okay, right? But I think that gripe is, is warranted because, yeah, I haven't heard the audible voice of God either. But this really cool thing happened uh, in the New Testament where we received the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
So when you say yes to Jesus, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit within you, and you literally have God dwelling within you. Moses didn't have that. He's an Old Testament dude. The gift of the Holy Spirit hadn't even come at that time. So Moses maybe needed this burning bush to literally yell at him and tell him what he needs to do. We have God living inside of us. And it's this beautiful, mysterious, difficult thing to try to hear the voice of the Lord, but it is a gift that we are allowed to, to press into. So this is, this is kind of like a side message, but if you are wanting to learn how to hear the voice of the Lord better, talk to somebody about that. Talk to a pastor or a friend who you feel like has this ability for discernment because we are given that gift to hear the voice of the Lord through the gift of the Holy Spirit within us. So as we start to understand that gift and hear what the Lord might be asking of us, then we move into the section of throwing off the hindrances and going after it in his power. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians. Uh, this is Paul writing, and he is basically like talking about all the horrible things that has happened to him. You may remember that passage. But he gets to this portion here. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Moses could have used that passage, right, a little bit earlier. But I can use that passage. I don't know if you feel that on a deep level like I do, but for when I am weak, then I am strong. That sentence shouldn't even make any sense. Like syntax, it just doesn't really work. But with God, it does because his strength is made perfect in our weaknesses. So that calling, that thing that he's asking you to go do, whether it's this grand life calling or just maybe a subtle thing this week, like, hey, I want you to talk to that person. I feel like that's from the Lord. These things that we may be nervous about or have hesitation around, it's not your power or your strength that you're doing it in. That should be a bit of an exhale for you because you probably aren't good enough to do the thing. <laughs> I'm not good enough to do all that he's calling me to do. That's just reality. There will always be someone better at the job than me. But if the Lord has asked me to do it, his strength and his power will go before me and allow me to press into that. That's a beautiful truth. That makes me feel lighter, honestly. Like, even thinking about preaching this morning, I was like, I'm exhausted. I don't know if I have the right words. And I was like, oh, it's, it's the Lord through you. It's all good, <laughs> right? That, that should make us have a, a bit of re relaxation and knowing that it's, it's his power. I'm going to invite the worship team to come uh, up, and we're going to close in a song. Um, but I want to read one passage for you before that. This passage is like a really popular one. Um, I worked on a ministry team at one point and asked for everybody to send in their favorite verse and like six people <laughs> sent in this verse. So it's like one of those ones that's like, it's cool, it's cool, right? Um, it's beautiful passage from Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. Some say acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. The phrase in there that like I have to cling to from time to time is lean not on your own understanding. I try to do a lot of this world on my own power and strength. 
And if you're anything like me or the people I know, you probably do too. But there are things we come up against that we're just like, I don't know what to do here. I can't do this. And that's when we have these beautiful moments of surrender to God where it says, okay, I'm going to lean not on my understanding of the world or this situation, but I'm going to cling to you and say that you know something that I don't know. You have a power that I can access that I don't have myself. So we're going to sing here, and I'd love for you to reflect on whatever God has been stirring in your heart throughout this message, or maybe take a moment and listen if you're wondering what a calling in your life might be. Take a moment here and listen. Maybe he's going to speak something to you. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for being a God that is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-wonderful. Without you, we would just be running around trying to figure a lot of things out on our own, and it wouldn't come to much. So thank you for being the one that we can rely on at all times. I pray that we would be driven to that surrender uh, more frequently than just when we're at the end of our rope that each and every day we'd wake up and say, all right, this day is yours. And I, I live this day out through your strength and your power, not my own. Amen.